Let's begin then with the reading we've just had. There are two verses I want us to uh, notice, and then we'll take these two verses to our text. Our text is 2 Kings 4 verse 1, but let's look first of all at the two verses in 1 Kings 19. And what I want us to see tonight is how in these three verses we have the same pattern. So I wonder if you can notice the pattern. 1 Kings 19 verse 10. Elijah says to God, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. So that's verse 10, so keep verse 10 in mind, and then go down to verse 14. I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. So those two verses then move across to chapter 4 of 2 Kings, and we read the first verse. And this verse is the appeal of the widow to Elisha. We first looked at this two weeks ago. Here we are again. So notice the same pattern in this verse. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So by the end of this evening then, I want us to see that what you have here is a pattern. And it's the same pattern, and it's a pattern for prayer. It's a very clear instruction on how to come before God and how to pray with all your heart and how to pray with all your hope in God. We are looking at the widow in two kings in order to learn some lessons. And we've had two lessons so far. And the third is this one. How does this widow frame her prayer? Because we must be clear, this is a prayer that we read of. Elisha represents the Lord her God. And so by coming to Elisha in this way, we are meant to understand that she is praying. So we want to learn from her and from Elijah, but we must never lose sight of the fact that whenever we look at a person, we are really looking for God. And just to remind you of that, I'm going to read from Luke's Gospel. You don't need to turn to it yourself. I just want to read a passage from Luke's Gospel. This is where we may well end up in the weeks to come. But as I read this passage, remember we are looking for God above everything else. And as we read from Luke, perhaps you'll know why it is I'm reading this passage this evening. Now it happened the day after, Jesus went into a city called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him. And a large crowd followed. And when he came near the gate of the city, 
Behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And Jesus presented him to his mother. Now can you see why we're reading this? It's a very similar story to Elijah and Elisha and the widow. But the most important is this very unusual verse where we read, the Lord saw her and had compassion on her. Let's not lose sight as we learn lessons that the stories of Elijah and Elisha are about the compassion of God. Well, let's pray then, shall we? Lord our God, we come before you then that we may learn lessons. And above all else, we are to learn about you. So in all the stories of Elijah and Elisha and the widows, Lord, we learn about you. And we see you in your son, Jesus Christ. And we see him being called the Lord in that passage from Luke's Gospel. And then we are told that the Lord had compassion on the widow because her only son was dead. Lord our God, we see you here. You are the God who has compassion upon your people. You are the God who has compassion on those who are outside, those who are in their sins, and those who are lost. So, Lord, whenever we learn a lesson about a person, how to pray, how to speak, Lord, we need always to remind ourselves that the most important thing of all is to look for you. So, Lord, as we turn to your word again, at the end of a day, we ask your blessing upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we're going to learn about prayer. And I want to introduce it by saying to you, we had the most remarkable prayer meeting on Monday. Very unusual, very unexpected prayer meeting. And the subject of our discussion on Monday was pray. And I want to bring one lesson from Monday, if I can. We can't repeat what happened on Monday. It, it was of God, I believe. But we can take one lesson. And the lesson is this, as God's people, we learn his word. That's our first task. So we learn the truths of the Bible. But then there's a second lesson. And the second lesson is to learn how to use the truths of the Bible. We need a certain wisdom in order to know how to use the truths of the Bible. So certain truths are to be used by you depending on your situation. So some of the truths of the Bible you will use if you need to be comforted. 
or if you need your sins forgiven, or if you need to pray, we need to learn which truths to turn to depending on our situation. So on Monday, I try to put it like this. If you plan to make a cake, and there you are in your kitchen, and you're at your work surface, and you're going to make a cake, you're going to use certain ingredients to make that cake. Now, I know today you can have weird and wonderful cakes, but as a rule, if you're going to make a cake, you wouldn't turn to a tin of beans, or you wouldn't bring down a tin of tuna to make your cake. Now, God's word is a bit like that. If you need to be comforted, and you're going to make, if you like, a cake of God's truth, then you'll turn to the truths of God's sovereignty, of God's love, of his compassion, of his mercy, and you'll use those truths because you're in a situation which requires comfort. And in exactly the same way then, when you're praying, you turn to the truths that will help you to pray. Other truths you don't need when you're trying to pray. So as an example then, many of you, when you pray, and some of you in prayer meeting, you'll ask God something, and then you'll say, if it is your will. That is a truth that we don't need in prayer. Because you don't see the widow saying to Elisha, if it's your will, Elisha, you can help me. You don't find in any prayer this idea of saying, is it your will or not? What you have in prayer is a sense that God is going to help, no matter what. So this idea of the will of God, it comforts us, but you don't see it in prayer. Now on Monday we said, what about the Lord's prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's a totally different idea. That's submission to the fact that God will always work out his purposes. But we don't hedge our praise with some sort of P.S. to God. We'd like this, God, but P.S., if it's not your will, then we are fine with it. We need the truths of the Bible that encourage us to pray, that encourage us to expect an answer, and not those truths that can tie us up in knots. Another example is if you're praying for your husband to become a Christian, you're praying for your grandchildren to become a Christian, and you pray to God, and then you say, but God, if you've chosen them, and so you're saying to God, yes, you want them saved, but, but you know they might not be elect. You don't need the truth of election in your praying because that truth is a comfort truth. It's designed to strengthen you and help you with your doubts 
and your fears. So as we come to these three verses then, I want you to see that both Elijah and the widow frame their praise in exactly the same way. I want you to see three things. What both of them do is this. The first thing you do is you tell God what the situation is. Now, he knows the situation, but nonetheless, you tell him what the situation is. So take a look at 1 Kings 19, and in both verse 10 and verse 14, you see Elijah telling God exactly what the situation is. Can you see it there? Skip the first part of verse 10 and verse 14, and there you see Elijah telling God what the situation is. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. Now that's a a wonderful summary of the situation that Elijah finds himself in. As you look at verse 14, it's exactly the same. Now, many of you know when reading your Bibles, you look for things like repetition. And here's a perfect example of repetition. And if you see any repetition, it's like the writer is saying to you, look, take notice of this. So there's Elijah then, verse 14, saying exactly the same. The children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. You say to God exactly how it is. Let's look at the the widow and see what she does. 2 Kings 4 and verse 1. Your servant, my husband, is dead. That's the situation that she is in. And what I want us all to do in our praise is to say to God exactly what the situation is. So what situation are you in? Tell God exactly what the situation is. Now, I want to take two examples. I want you to think about those of you here this evening with family who are not saved. Say to God, I have a husband, a son, a granddaughter who is not saved. Say it to God. Put the situation directly for God's attention, just as you have it here in these examples. Always start with what the situation is. What I'd like us to do is, as a congregation, when we come to pray on a Monday, I'd like us to say to God exactly what our situation is. So let's imagine we're in prayer meeting and we go in to pray. What would we say to God about our situation as a congregation? How would you frame it? 
Would you say to God that we are getting older and fewer? Would you tell God what we don't have anymore as a congregation? You start with the situation as it is. Some of you have got children who professed faith, and they're no longer following. Tell God exactly how it is about your children. That you think they're Christians, but they're no longer faithful. Tell God. Put the situation to him. This is the first lesson from these three verses. And I hope you can see that it's exactly the same for Elijah. He has a long description that he says to God about the situation. The children of Israel are this, and they've done that, and I alone am left. So he puts the situation to God just as it is, without any frills. That's the first lesson when we pray. And you may think that's easy. I think it's very difficult. It's very challenging. But nonetheless, that's what we see. Now, turn back to Elijah, and I'm going to take you back to these two verses, and I want you to see the second thing that Elijah does. And this is what we need to be doing in our praying. Verse 10 of 1 Kings 19. So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. Go down to verse 14, and there's exactly the same phrase. I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. Now turn across to the widow, and where does she do the same thing? Can you see it? She does exactly the same thing. She talks about how her husband had been faithful. You know that your servant feared the Lord. They are doing the same thing. They are reminding God of the years of service that they have given. They are reminding God of all the cost that they've paid in his service. All the works that they've done. All the years of being faithful when the others have not. They are bringing back to God, for God's remembrance, all the years where they have been faithful to him. And that's the second thing to do when you pray. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying to you. So you do need to listen carefully. If you go to God and say, my son, my daughter, this is the situation, God. She's not a Christian. And then you say, but God, I took her to church since she was born. I took her to Sunday school. I taught her the Bible. I prayed with her. I prayed for her. And you remind God of all the years of the work that you have done with that daughter, with that son. You're praying for your husband, 
and you say, God, my husband is not a Christian, but for years I have prayed for him. And I've lived before him as a Christian. And I've shown him what it means to be a Christian. And you remind God of the long years of faithful witness before your husband that you have had in your home. And we are telling God about our situation here in the church. We are laying out for him our situation that he might see it. And then we say to him, we have been a fellowship that have stood on your word for over a hundred years. We have remained faithful to your gospel. We have sought to share it. We have taught children it. We have prayed about it. And you bring all to God your years of service and work that you have done in his name. This is what we see Elijah doing. It's what the widow does. And I'm going to challenge you to see that this is exactly what every Old Testament saint does. They remind God that they have served him and feared him and followed him all their lives. They have done things for him that only he can see. Service, acts of kindness, bits of support singing his praises, attending his house. These are the things to offer to God when you hear his word. Can I encourage you to to notice this as we turn to these verses? Now, hopefully some of you are going to think to yourself that this is very risky. And you're going to see dangers, aren't you, in doing this to God? Let me say to you, whatever danger you imagine there is in coming to God in this way is not a danger worth paying any attention to. Let me ask you, how many years have you prayed for your child? How many years have you prayed for your husband? How often have you tried to be faithful in your home when your family have said to you why do you bother going to that place when all these terrible things happen to you and people in work will say to you why do you bother to go to church in these days and you've remained faithful and you've continued and you've attended and you've prayed now bring all this to God and say to God these are the things we have done in you and a is it all for nothing has it been all in vain that's what we need in our praying to remind God that these things matter to us. They are our very life and death. There is nothing more important to us than his work, his kingdom, and that people should be saved. Show to God how much this has mattered to you over the years in your praying and in your living and in your conversations. You've tried, haven't you? to persuade your family to come. You've pleaded with them. 
You've said every Christmas, come with me. Now remind God of all that you have done as you show to him just how much it matters to you. That's what God wants to see. How much does it matter to us, these things that we are praying for? The things that we believe in, do they matter or do they not matter? This is what's at the heart of our praying. So the widow and Elijah, they lay the situation before God. Then they remind God of years of faithful service, standing alone when no one else has stood, serving him. And the cost of doing so, week after week after week, that's what they remind God about as they come before him. Now, let's be very clear. There's a third lesson to learn here. And I want you to see it, if you can. So back we go to 1 Kings 19, to these two verses. And I want you to notice what is the third lesson that we need to take on in our praying. Look at the end of verse 10. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then verse 14, I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. And then, as you know, 2 Kings 4 and verse 1. Right at the end of the verse, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. What's this third lesson that moves us to pray? Well, I think it's something you and I don't like to think about. Because what we have here is a future feared outcome. What Elijah is saying to God, they seek to take my life. It's not happened yet, but it's what Elijah knows will happen in the future. And so the widow says, the creditor will come and take my two sons to be his slaves. Now she's under no doubt, that is what's going to happen. So a future certainty motivates both of them to come before God and to plead with God that he would hear their praise. And so it's that future that moves them in these verses. And that's what you and I don't like to think about. What's the future for your husband, who's not a Christian? What's the future for your daughter or your son? And the future for them is this. If they remain unsaved, then they will be lost. If they remain without God and without Christ, 
then their future is a future of lostness, a future of punishment. That's the future. So just as Elijah looks into his own future, and the widow looks into her own future, we have to look into the futures of the people for whom we are praying. And their future is, without Christ, their future is lost. That's what moves us to pray. So whoever you're praying for, if it's a son or daughter, grandchildren, some of you will say to me, Neil, don't forget our great-grandchildren. Well, let me say to you, their future without Christ is what you need to be thinking about. Not their future jobs or their future marriages or their future careers. It's their future without Christ that is to move us and concern us above everything else. And that's what you see in these verses. It is the future. And what you have on both occasions, in both Elijah and Elisha's widow, is the future starts to crash down upon them. The future starts to break into the present. So for this widow, she'd known about the debt probably for years. And for years, the creditor had probably said to her, unless you sort this out, I'll take your sons. But she's not moved to seek God until that creditor says to her, tomorrow I'll be coming for your sons. You see, we are very good, aren't we, at pushing these thoughts out of our heads and imagining that the future is thousands of miles away. But when you see that that future is now, then there'll be the move to pray to God. The feared future Now, we're saying to God, aren't we, this is our situation as a church. And for years we've served you. For years we've preached your truth. We've sought your presence. We've come together to pray. For years we've taught the children. We've taught the young people. We've had the shop. We bore witness. For years, God, this is what we've done. What's the future? What's that feared future? And it's as we see the future and we realise what that future holds, if things stay the same, that we come before God to pray. The future. Now, part of my job is to hold that up to you and to say to you, and it's very difficult to say it to you, and I can say to you, Because it's true for me. I've got family who are not Christians. Some of you have got family who are not Christians. And we need a clear vision 
that the future for them without Christ is to be lost. Now, until we see it, until we feel it, until that future breaks in on us and we know it now, then we won't pray as we see it here. God has made it very clear. Every human being will stand before him for judgment. So your husband, your family, you know how it works, your colleagues, every human being will stand before God. That's the future for those we love and for those that matter to us and for those we work with and serve and care for. That future then is the future to drive us to pray as we see here in these examples. So let's finish. What do we see? We see Elijah and we see Elisha's widow coming to God, laying the situation down just as it is, reminding God of years of service. And we see them at the end saying to God, unless you do, this is what will happen. Unless you do something, Elijah says, I'm going to die. Unless you do something, says the widow, my two sons will be taken and I will die. Unless God does something for us, we are going to die as a congregation. And unless God does something for you and your loved ones, they are going to die. And they'll die without Christ. Until we feel these things, then we are not praying in the way we see here. But let's turn to our hymn book, shall we?